Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. The TalkSport Daily Podcast is proud to be in partnership with Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Whatever the mission, home or away, Enterprise helps over 120,000 people every day. With vans of all shapes and sizes, if you have a plan, Enterprise has a van. No matter if you need to rent for an hour, a day, a week or longer, Enterprise offers great rates for you or your business. To find out more and book, visit enterprise.co.uk. All the Queen's Horses on Talk Sport. Her Majesty the Queen was inducted into the British Flat Racing Hall of Fame in 2021. But her love of horses dated back to the 20s when she began riding at the tender age of just three. A prodigious owner of horses, Her Majesty had 71 winners at Ascot since her coronation in 1952. The moment of the Queen's crowning is come. Over the next hour, we'll look back on the Queen's love of horses and racing and hear from those in the racing industry who she met along the way. I think we have to be grateful for all that she has done, that what she has done will leave a legacy, but she can't be replaced. She is racing's greatest patron. It was a strange old moment when she received the trophy she normally presents, but it was a, a wonderful occasion. An aide caught him on the floor on all fours, pretending to be a horse with little tiny Elizabeth sitting on him and having a whale of a time. That brought tears to my eyes, actually watching the Queen have an estimate when it won. That was unbelievable. The whole nation were really excited about those pictures. I feel very lucky to hopefully have um, produced a a good enough piece that um, Her Majesty's happy with it and gets pleasure from it. Stud people are always absolutely on the dot. So if the Queen is expected at 11 o'clock, they will be there at 11 o'clock, but they won't be there at 10.59. We had sort of toy horses with the famous colours, the Aga Khans and the Lord Derbys and Lord Roseberries. And I remember the Queen's colours very much. Queen's horses were a bit like a football team, you follow them. This is All the Queen's Horses with me, Talk Sports racing correspondent Rupert Bell. The racing world is hugely indebted to the influence the Queen had on her sport during her lifetime. It was done with a wholehearted commitment, whether it be overseeing the horses at her stud or with her trainers. It was also her total commitment to Royal Ascot that stood out, a meeting that over the years has grown to become one of the most significant global racing events. She deeply cared for the horse and all breeds, whether it be those winning classic races, but also outside the racing world. She cared for all sorts of breeds. It meant so much to her. It was her pride. It was her joy. It was her hobby. It was the perfect antidote to her role as head of state. It enabled her to get downtime on a daily basis, whether it be ringing her trainers of an evening to find out how their horses were running or could just sit down and watch the racing on the television. It was her passion. She loved it and would spend hours on the phone 
to her trainers at any time of the day. It meant so much to her. The sport was lucky to have her. That is why racing still remains an integral part of the British sporting fabric. Coming up, you'll hear from some major names in racing and a few who even knew Her Majesty personally. But to get a real understanding of how entwined the Queen was with her horse racing, I think it's important we start with how the relationship between the royal family and horses began. The Queen wasn't the first and certainly not the last member of the royal family to have an interest in racing. Her father, King George VI, has a race of his own named after him at Kempton Park. Leonard Orkin for an amazing Pilatipos win in this top-class chase. Leonard Orkin comes home well clear. Let's suppose Leonard Orkin is the winner. Practically all monarchs have had a love of horses, but it was only in the 1500s that the royal family started to use horses for fun, sport and status rather than war. The first ever race meetings were held while Henry VIII was on the throne. In 1605, James I discovered Newmarket while out hawking. He began to race his horses there and spent so much time at Newmarket that the government had to petition for the king to return to London and run the country. And of course, to this day, Newmarket is known as the original home of horse racing. And they come out towards the line like Margaret is coming through to win it. Tom Trommel's in second place. And so this red-hot anti-post has got turned over here at Newmarket. Queen Anne took racing to a whole new level during the 18th century. She owned a very large number of horses and was founder of Royal Ascot, the most famous connection between the royal family and horse racing. Queen Victoria is said to have become so excited while watching a race at Ascot that she broke the window of the royal box in a rush to see the finish. And of course, Royal Ascot is today famous throughout the world and an event Her Majesty only missed twice during her illustrious reign. A royal win in the Dole Cup! Estimate has done it! Estimate and Ryan Moore has won for Her Majesty the Queen! Horses were part of the Queen's DNA, from breeding horses to also having a love of all things equestrian through the generations. But was her interest always evident from her childhood? Author and royal biographer Angela Levin studied Her Majesty's upbringing. I think her love of horses was always there. And when her governess came to look after her when she was very small, had just lots of curly hair, very tiny, um, she would, before she went to bed, have the string of her dressing gown tied round the end of the bed because she felt she had to race her horses before she could go to sleep. So they were well exercised. She also had 30 toy horses that she would play with all the time, saddle on, saddles off, races, all that sort of thing. But before she went to bed, she would line them up outside her bedroom with the saddles off and make sure they were all right. And her grandfather, George V, brought her a pony when she was four years old. However, he encouraged her about horses and aid caught him on the floor on all fours, pretending to be a horse with little tiny Elizabeth sitting on him and having a whale of a time. Now he was a very doer king and nobody had seen him ever do such a thing. Um, and it was a very close bond between granddaughter and grandfather at that time, which then moved on to her getting on extremely well with her mother and having such a huge common interest in the horses. It's evident the Queen needed no encouragement to carry on the royal family's fascination in horses and racing. 
Former jockey Lizzie Kelly joins me now, where we'll reflect on the huge part horses played in the Queen's incredible life. And Lizzie, they did play a huge part, whether it be racing or away from the racing spotlight. Yeah, I think that the one thing that really stood out was that she was an equestrian across all disciplines, whether that was eventing, um, she had, which obviously her family did really well in or showing alongside the racing as well. And I think that that comes down to, you know, enjoying the, the horse as an individual and, and all of the different attributes those horses needed to succeed in whatever discipline they went into. And her support across the board in equestrian sport has always been sort of steadfast, really. And that love of racing probably to some extent might have been passed on by her mother, who was a passionate jumps racing fan, your uh, area of the sport. But she did enjoy a jump racing, but flat racing was the thing that she just relished being part of, whether it be on the race course or the breeding side, to make sure, try and improve the racing thoroughbred. Obviously, her mother has a race named after her at the Cheltenham Festival, the Queen Mother Champion Chase. Um, so you know, goes hand in hand, even that meeting with the royal family. Um, but she's a massive support to racing and the industry. And I think that her association with the sport is something that appeals to a lot of people overseas as well. They really buy into uh, the support that she puts forward and it and it really lifts the sport. You know, flat racing has the connotations, the links with her and obviously Royal Ascot being one of those things. And so you know, her support for the industry is massive. And Royal Ascot, the procession and all that she brought with it, the meeting was defined by her. And that's why people were, it was extended from a, to a five day festival with her blessing. She wanted as many people as possible to enjoy the sport of racing and, and was and tried to encourage that development of the sport, that racing was a sport for all. Yeah, absolutely. You know, her links with Royal Ascot were enormous and it was, you know, even when you sign up as a Royal Enclosure member, you get, you know, beautiful things sent to you and the posed invitations and all that sort of thing, which only adds to the Royal sort of feeling around that meeting. And, um, you know, certainly was one of the best parts of the meeting was, you know, watching her arrive in the carriages. Well, I've had the privilege of working at Royal Ascot since the late 90s, and I know that she had a very much a hands-on role in the development of the race course. It was fantastic whenever she had a Royal Ascot winner, most notably when estimate. But from a personal point of view, I know how much she cared for other winning owners. She would enjoy their success. My brother was lucky enough to train the winner of the Ascot Gold Cup, with Big Orange back in 2017 and it was a wonderful moment for my family and then the next day I know that she would have spoken to my brother anyway because he trained racehorses for her but more importantly the next day my son Ollie and I had the chance to meet her and she was really engaged by what it meant Big Orange winning for the family at such a significant moment because she wasn't just the queen she was a dedicated race fan and I think that's one thing we're going to miss. We can now hear from a man who, after a successful career as a jockey with over 100 winners, became a legendary racing broadcaster and award-winning author. Brascott MBE has been speaking to me about the Queen's illustrious horse racing history, dating back 
to the 1950s. That Coronation Derby in 52, so it's, it's a long time ago, um, I remember it very, very well because remember we didn't have, we had one television channel and most people, if they had seen television at all, only saw it the first time then. We got a television around that time. I mean, you basically had newsreels and very few things. Absolutely astonishing. I'm aged nine, but I followed racing. My dad was quite keen on racing from afar. And racing was very big in the national psyche then, much bigger than it is now. And I remember we had little, one magazine he used to have, which is the beginning of the year, some top flat horses, and you'd sort of, a little nerdy little boy would memorise their pedigrees and things. We had sort of toy horses with the famous colours, the Aga Khans and the Lord Derbys and Lord Roseberries. And I remember the Queen's colours very much. The Queen's horses were a bit like a football team. You follow them. I knew all the Queen's horses. So, I mean, I all knew about Oriole. The Oriole was very nervous. And, of course, back then you didn't have talk sport. You didn't have anything. So you just heard the whirring of the noise. You knew it was sort of coming. Horse racing is probably been worth quite a bit more than its weight in gold. I mean, I think it's been... To some extent, the salvation of racing because racing has slipped right out of me. And I think it's the biggest challenge is in future years to try make sure that the things that the Queen brought to racing, I mean, racing, you know, <laughs> um, is can be seen as a bit iffy. I mean, part of its excitement is it's, it's a little bit challenging at times and can get itself into a muddle at times. Uh, but there's no doubt that. The very fact that the Queen loves it, enjoys it, shows it can be enjoyed for all the great things about it. And I always said, and I'm tarred with racing, so if anyone wants to say it's bad, you can say I'm bad. Uh, but it's all of life, and it's a very good microcosm of life, because all of life has difficult things that happen in it, and difficult, different people who might be trying to do things. But it doesn't mean you can't find the good things and enjoy the the essential thing about racing, which is the excitement and unique thing that's the thoroughbred racing down the generations, one against the other, uh, fastest weight cane creature the world's ever seen, produced by Britain's greatest gift to the animal kingdom. It's the Queen of England's greatest gift to sport. And of course, on Coronation Day, everyone said to her, how's it all going? Uh, are you feeling? She said, things are very good because they're Captain Boyd Ross has run up and said Oriole was fine this morning. So she's thinking of the Derby on Coronation Day. So the Derby is the biggest day imaginable. And I'm, I rather guess that actually the Queen, to some extent, is looking forward to Derby Day almost most of the Coronation. Former jockey and legendary broadcaster Bruff Scott there. And next we'll find out what it was like to ride a winner for Her Majesty as five-time champion jockey Willie Carson joins us to look back on winning the Oaks at Epsom on the Queen's Philly Dunfermline in the Silver Jubilee year in 1977. On the near side, Willie Carson, Dunfermline, and it's going to be a royal victory, I think, on the near side, Dunfermline, and Dunfermline now going into the lead, and Dunfermline wins the This is All the Queen's Horses on TalkSport, with me, Rupert Bell, and alongside me, former jockey, Lizzie Kelly. All the Queen's Horses on Talk Sport.
Welcome back to All the Queen's Horses here on TalkSport, a reflection of Her Majesty the Queen's love of horses and racing with some of those in the industry who knew her best. I'm TalkSport's racing correspondent, Rupert Bell. The Queen was one of the most successful horse race owners in the history of the royal family. Her Majesty owned hundreds of racehorses down the years and claimed more than 1,600 race wins. Her total prize money equated to over 6.7 million in racing and became the 11th most successful owner of horses on the flat. Queen Elizabeth owned numerous stunning thoroughbreds throughout the years and had great success at the races too. Pall Mall won the 2,000 guineas in 1958, Highclere won the 1,000 guineas in 74, Carrozza was the Epsom Oaks winner back in 1957, and Dunfermline won the Epsom Oaks in 1977 and also won the St Ledger that same year. But this bit on a royal classic, alleged is fighting back, but Dunfermline has the advantage. Racing to the line, Dunfermline is going to win it. And at the line, Dunfermline is the winner. The Derby was the only British classic to elude Her Majesty. Oriole finished runner-up in the 1953 Derby, just four days after her coronation, whilst Carlton House finished third in 2011 having started out as a well-fancied favourite. Bourmois coming on the outer and celebrates as if he's won the derby. The judge may be needed. Bourmois and Treasure Beach from Carlton House. Dickie Arbiter was the Queen's press secretary from 1988 to 2000 and described to TalkSport how much horses meant to Her Majesty. Horses did play a big part. She was very knowledgeable about horses. Uh, I remember on occasions when drooping the colour and uh, whether she was riding uh, on the parade, which she stopped doing just beyond the mid-1980s, or whether she was just sitting on a, on a dais watching, watching the parade, she would look very carefully at the horses of the household cavalry she had a very keen eye. She could tell whether something was wrong with a horse from 50 metres away, the way it was moving. She had a, an incredible eye. Um, same as when she'd go around the War Windsor Horse Show, which she did annually. Uh, she, she loved going there. She loved seeing the youngsters competing. She loved watching the show jumping. She used to love watching Prince Philip competing in the carriage driving competition. But she looked at horses with a very experienced eye, not just because of their sports prowess, but also from a physical point of view. And if there was something wrong with a horse, she'd point it out very quickly. The Silver Jubilee in 1977 marked 25 years on the throne for Her Majesty the Queen, with parties and celebrations across the nation. And it was also the year she had huge personal success in racing, when our horse Dunfermline won two British classics, the Oaks, and the St. Ledger. Alleged, never been beaten so far. Dunfermline won the Oaks, and Dunfermline is now almost on terms with Alleged. It's between these two. Dunfermline is going to win it, and at the line, Dunfermline is the winner. Senior writer for the Racing Post, Lee Mottershead, summed up her success on that very memorable year for Her Majesty. The 60s didn't so much swing for the Queen as a, as a racehorse owner breeder, but the 70s were a real golden period. And in 1977, the, the Jubilee year, she had enormous success with a filly called Dunfermline. She'd had enormous success three years earlier as well with another filly called Highclere. And arguably, I think when Dunfermline won the, the St. Ledger in, in 1977, Dunfermline produced the single greatest performance 
by a horse owned by the Queen at any point in her reign. She beat a horse called Alleged. And as a single performance, that was probably the highlight of the Queen's racing life back in 2012. There were also high hopes of a first Royal Derby success for the Queen with, with Carlton House, who came very close to to winning that race as well, was bang there inside the closing stages, eventually was just run out of it, but she tended to do very well at the big moments in her life. You'll now hear from a true legend of racing, the man who rode the Queen's horse Dunfermline at the Oaks in her Silver Jubilee year, a five-time champion jockey, winning eight races across seven glorious years for Her Majesty, Willie Carson, OBE. On the near side, Willie Carson, Dunfermline, and it's going to be a royal victory, I think, on the near side, Dunfermline, and Dunfermline now going into the lead, and Dunfermline wins the This is a big thing, what happened. You know, Jubilee week, Dunfermline, the best mile and a half, the biggest race in the calendar for three-year-old fillies. In my first year as jockey to Dick Hearn, and I'm in the winner's enclosure. I remember going upstairs and having a glass of champagne and uh, having a little chat on the telephone to Her Majesty. But it was an enthusiastic um, arrival in the winner's enclosure for Dunfermline, owned by Her Majesty the Queen, the winner of the 1977 Oaks. Dream come true. My life could have ended then and I'd have been happy. Obviously... You know the Queen well in terms of her racing life. You look at her career in the sport from the 50s, she was leading owner and she was having success in the early stages of her reign. And then, obviously, you come along with Dunfermline and there were one or two other good horses around about that time that she had. Um, High Clear is one of them. And then it's a a pretty long time between drinks for another big winner in Estimate. Um, But in the 70s, it was a bit of a golden period for her because High Clear was, was a decent horse for her as well. Yeah, hi, Claire. Um, she was out of a blue-blooded uh, broodmare. She's turned out to be being the, the sire of uh, a derby winner I rode in Nashwan. I think the breeding is where she gets most pleasure. She gets more pleasure out of going to the stud and seeing her young foals and what's going to be the future than she does out of winning on a race course. I think that the pleasure she gets is seeing the future in the paddocks. Uh, and she does that quite often, goes and sees. And she's always asking the people who look after her horses what their character's like. That's her enjoyment, getting to know her animals, what they like, what they don't like. And you mentioned Estimate. Well, I think I rode two winners at Royal Ascot on the same day for her. And look, you were riding big winners all over the place, all over the time. Does it feel a little different when you are wearing the Queen's racing colours and for someone like you, um, you know, who is at the top, but able to provide a, a moment for a lady who just has loved racing so passionately and has been an integral part of her life. Well, I can tell you, every jockey who puts those silks on wants his picture taken for prosperity. It doesn't matter whether they win or not. It's a great honour to be putting those colours on. And I had the pleasure of putting them on quite a lot. Um, but I remember in the early days, um, I'm not very tall, you know. I was only five to half an inch. And that half an inch is very important, by the way. <laughs> and, and, and when I put those colours, I felt six foot tall. You know, you just felt better when you you felt more important. You felt, you know, it's just, it, it's a thing that just, you, you blossom 
when you put those colours on. I think every jockey would do, because it's such an honour to be riding for the most famous woman in the whole wide world. Riding a winner at Royal Ascot, I imagine she was pleased to celebrate with you after that. Okay, it may not have been one of the iconic races, but whatever race it was, it would have meant an awful lot to her because we've seen when she has winners and when we saw Estimate win, that was, um, you know, the celebration and you could see the joy on her face then. But any winner that she has, I get the feeling she enjoys it, whichever race it is. Yes, that brought tears to my eyes, actually watching the Queen have an estimate when it won uh, the, the Gold Cup. That was unbelievable. It was it, the whole nation were really excited about the, those pictures. It's the sort of thing we could do on the news tonight. And I think that's what happened that day when they put that video of Her Majesty smiling and you could see the excitement in her face, the smile and all the people around her, the John Warren who was beside her, all so excited and trembling with happiness. It it was a great sight. And going back to when I had the double for Her Majesty at Royal Ascot, she was in the winner's enclosure and given her horse a pat, but I think uh, the way she's been brought up, she wasn't being too excitable because she had a little bit of, you know, feeling for the horse that she's beaten. You know, she was just showing her class, put it that way. Willie Carson, I think, summing up what it meant to ride for her. And I'm once again joined by former jockey Lizzie Kelly. And what Willie Carson was talking about, the pride that he felt, you you can see why jockeys, even in both codes, even in your jumps code, when they had the chance to ride for the Queen, it meant something. It was a little different. Throughout the time that I was in the weighing room, um, you would occasionally see a jump jockey putting on those wonderful silks. And, you know, there's almost a little bit of envy, I suppose. <laughs> like, you know, I'm never ever going to ride for her I, you know, I would have loved to have done in my career it's such a special sort of opportunity and, and it's not just for you either as a jockey it's for your family as well to say that you've ridden for the Queen um, I think my grandmother would be sort of beside herself if I if I ever had it's something that's really really special I, I know even if they may only have a couple of rides even if they were on a, a no hoper that jockey would still say I've done something a little different because the Queen would be interested enough to probably even maybe call that jockey but she cared and that's why I think the jockeys enjoyed riding for both male and female. Hayley Turner had a chance to ride for her early on in her career. So it really, you know, it was a big moment and is for, for that jockey. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's it's a really big moment. I mean, there are a few occasions in, in a jump jockey or any jockey's career when they put on special silks that mean something. And most of the time it's because it's a really big, influential owner. But in this case, you know, it would have been for for the Majesty, and, and that's just amazing. I spoke with Royal Historian Hugo Vickers, who has studied the Queen's fascination with racing throughout her life, and he summed up perfectly what going to the races meant to her and how precise her preparation was when attending meetings. She goes to the races a, a, a lot, and, and very often privately, um, Newbury, um, she goes to, and certainly she goes to see the studs. And I can tell you one interesting thing is, which which uh, 
uh, late racing manager, um, Lord Carnarvon, said, which was that stud people are always absolutely on the dot. So if the Queen is expected at 11 o'clock, they will be there at 11 o'clock, but they won't be there at 10.59. So sometimes he and the Queen used to pull into a lay-by together and wait uh, just long enough to um, uh, so that they arrived on the dot of 11 and they were expected. What also comes through talking to people is just her absolute love of the sport. Racing was what gave her pleasure away from the trials and tribulations of being head of state. Yeah, and I think that that's something that came across a lot. And, and that wasn't just in horse racing, that was also in a load of other equestrian sports. I think that the royal family have actually touched pretty much every equestrian sport that there is. And so you could tell that with her enjoyment of, of those sports and the way that that enjoyment had been passed down to her children and grandchildren as well, I think it made her really relatable that she enjoyed all the same things that you know we enjoyed as, as equestrian people ourselves. You could see that on the race course because she would love talking to her trainers about their horse and whether it be at Ascot, occasionally she obviously couldn't go racing as often as she would like, but when she did, you knew that this was something she really enjoyed being at, um, you know, just being amongst racing folk. Yeah, I suppose that everybody on a race course is there for the same reason. You know, we all enjoy the horses and I suppose that makes her part of our little clan, I suppose. And and that's something that was lovely. And also the other lovely thing was that a lot of her horses, she then had retired and they went on to do other things like the retired classes that they have now. And Barbershop, who is probably her best jumper, has has been really, really successful in that field. And she was deeply interested in what happens to all her ex-racehorses. Well, still to come, we'll reflect on the Queen's love of Royal Ascot, where she achieved great success over the years. This is All the Queen's Horses on TalkSport with me, Rupert Bell reflecting on the Queen's love of horses. Yeah, hold that please, level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi, now the most important thing to know is to Ertz in the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz in the Channelized Bimbingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This episode of the TalkSport Daily is brought to you by Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Planning to hire or share a car or van? Enterprise is there every step of the way. Whenever and wherever you need a vehicle and whatever it's for, 
Enterprise can help. With over 450 locations across the UK, they're just around the corner. Whether you need a weekend rental, a holiday hire, a replacement car, or you're planning a business trip, home or away, Enterprise are there to help. To find out more and book, visit enterprise.co.uk. All the Queen's Horses on Talk Sport. Welcome back to All the Queen's Horses here on TalkSport, a reflection of Her Majesty the Queen's love of horses and racing with some of those in the industry who knew her best. I'm TalkSport's racing correspondent, Rupert Bell. Royal Ascot was the highlight of the Queen's racing calendar. In fact, perhaps of her entire calendar. The meeting saw her horse estimate win twice, including most famously in the 2013 Ascot Gold Cup. Princess Anne explained the importance of Ascot to the royal family ahead of the 2016 event. I think Royal Ascot, its history is probably quite well known, but it has a real history of its own uh, as a place and within the history of thoroughbred racing in, in Britain. I think maintaining that has been a really important part of Her Majesty's interest. So I suspect she had an active if not knowledgeable interest in the racing from the very early days, and Royal Ascot was very much part of that. Royal expert Charles Ray spoke to us about the Queen's love for Ascot and what made it so special. It is a fantastic race meeting. Uh, you know, forget about all the people who dress up in all their finery and the hats and everything else. She's purely there for the horses. She's just there for the enjoyment. I mean, if you look at the television pictures of her, particularly when one of her horses is racing, the smile on her face, um, it, it's just a joy to watch. And it's a, something that she also learned from the Queen Mother, who was equally active in watching the horse racing. Senior writer at the Racing Post, Lee Mottishead, told me how much influence the Queen had on the meeting. There isn't an event with which the Queen is more closely associated than Royal Ascot. It takes place in her playground, if you like, Ascot Racecourse, and she adores it. The, the five days of Royal Ascot are circled off in a diary straight away, and she's had enormous success over the years at Royal Ascot. But the Gold Cup is the signature race of Royal Ascot, and it's a race that she had long wanted to win. And that day in 2013, she did win it. And I think what we saw there was the Queen expressing spontaneous joy, jubilation, in a way that I don't think people had ever seen before. Necessarily, a monarch will sometimes have to force smiles. But what you saw there was absolute spontaneous joy. The racecourse broadcast on its big screen pictures of the Queen watching the closing stages with John Warren, almost resemblance of a betting flock punter chasing home one of his or her selections in a 3.30 at Catrick. She was desperate for that horse to win. And this is the reaction of Her Majesty the Queen and John Warren going berserk beside her and the Queen very, very calm, looking up thinking, is she going to do it? Is she going to do it? She's going to. And the joy that victory brought her put an enormous amount of happiness uh, across the race course and indeed the sport. And I, I think there is a a sense that those of us who love racing perhaps feel that we have a closer association with the Queen than other people because we on race courses get to see her in a way that other people don't. She's at her most relaxed on a race course, at her most natural 
on a race course. And as I say, that day at Royal Ascot, when Estimate won the Gold Cup, I don't think anybody at any point in the Queen's reign has in a public moment seen us so happy. And it was marvellous to win. And the Queen is watching her Philly Estimate win the race for which she is meant to present the trophy. Royal Ascot is the event most associated with Her Majesty and the fanfare around her arrival was one of the true great occasions in racing. Royal historian Hugo Vickers told me how the Queen treated the meeting differently from others. And the interesting thing about Royal Ascot that week, which is now five days, is that the Queen's there in a sort of official capacity, I suppose. I mean, there's the wonderful drive in carriages up the course, and then they come in and, and so on. I mean, she would just walk down, and if she wanted to go left or right, she would just sort of point with her umbrella, and everybody would part. And she didn't have to sort of acknowledge the crowds. She wasn't, didn't have to talk to them. I mean, she was another race goer, just like they were. Queen Elizabeth's relationship with the Royal Ascot meeting was as apparent as any past monarch, demonstrated more than ever following that Gold Cup win in 2013. Director of Racing and Communications at Ascot, Nick Smith, delivered his memories of Her Majesty and that Estimate win in particular. But it's all about Estimate here, a historic win in the Gold Cup of 2013. This beautifully bred daughter of Mumsun bred by the Aga Khan, bred to win a Gold Cup, owned to win a Gold Cup. The word iconic is thrown around all over the place these days and used in all sorts of inappropriate contexts, but, but that was an iconic moment, not just for Royal Ascot or racing, but for sports in general. You know, Her Majesty's horse estimate winning the Gold Cup was one of the biggest you know, achievements that any owner can have. And I mean, everyone remembers that amazing visual of the Queen on television with um, John Warren and members of her family and just that outpouring of absolute delight uh, as the horse passed the post. Um, and um, it was a, a strange old moment when she, when she received the trophy she normally presents, but it was a, a wonderful occasion. You cannot script sport and you cannot predict history, but we have seen here today the perfect script and a piece of history. For the first time ever, a reigning monarch has won the Gold Cup. The race first run in 1807 has been won by the Queen with this Philly estimate, trained by Sir Michael Stout. Lots of her trophies are, are laid out for display for that wonderful week of, of racing guests and other members of the, the royal family at Winter Castle. She is racing's greatest patron, and she's been a you know a regular here even last year. She was able to come on the Saturday of the royal meeting, albeit by car, but I think the reception that she received both at Royal Ascot last year and indeed on Kipco British Champions Day in October when she arrived was one of the great highlights in racing of the year. And of course, following that win, the Queen got a token of that famous victory displayed in her courtyard at Sandringham. A sculptor, Tessa Campbell-Fraser, was set the task of creating a statue of Estimate back in 2016. She unveiled it. It had a beautiful silk drape over it, the whole thing. And it, uh, it was over life-size. It was probably about 19 hands because when she decided that it was to be outside the main house, if you make it life-size, it will actually look a bit like a pony. So I had to make it 10% bigger than life-size to make it look like a horse but they draped her racing colours over it in silk. So she pulled that away and it was, it was a nerve wracking moment, I have to say, but one quiet moment later on in the day, I was standing looking out the window in Sandringham at the sculpture, cause you can look straight at it. And um, she came over and I plucked up the courage to say, ma'am, is it what you imagined? And um, she said, no, 
And then there was a long pause and I thought, oh my God, get my coat. I need to get out of here now. And then she smiled and she said, it's better than I imagined. It showed she had an amazing sense of humour to keep me dangling. I did worry though, because it's one thing doing a painting for her when if she doesn't like it, she can put it down in the bowels of Sandringham, never to be seen again. But when they've made this huge stone sort of sarcophagus for it to be put on top of, I was concerned that uh, if she didn't like it, it would not be very good. I feel very lucky to hopefully have um, produced a a good enough piece that um, Her Majesty's happy with it and gets pleasure from it. What an honour it was for Tessa to create that statue of Esnemet. Once again, Lizzie Kelly joins me to reflect on the Queen's love of horses and Royal Ascot in particular, Lizzie, was just something that defined her love of the sport and, and we as race fans just appreciated her wholehearted commitment to those lovely days in the height of the British summer. Her association with Royal Ascot was enormous. Probably the biggest part of the day was watching her come up the race course. The carriages would come in through the race course into the parade ring and circle around the parade ring quite a few times before she would get out and and go off to the royal box for the day. Her Majesty arriving to great reception here and getting a round of applause from the crowd and a cheer as our longest serving monarch alights from her car and I think there was a a joyful smile on her face there. It was a huge part of the day. In fact, I don't really feel that the day had kicked off until she had arrived and it was just wonderful to get as close as you were able to get to her um, and see her and that was a big part of the day. And for her, it was very much seemed like a private occasion. I think we'd probably refer to it as a semi-state occasion, but for her, it was a private event because she'd have her lunch with her guests who were then in the royal procession. There was always a twitchy moment if you were going to get the nod to be allowed into the actual procession itself if you were a guest. But what an honour it was. And she relished the whole day. And she would be the last to leave on many occasions and and didn't want to miss any day because she loved being part of it and I think more importantly loved seeing everybody else enjoy what the meeting could offer. I think Royal Ascot is is an amazing meeting for lots of different reasons and it attracts a lot of different people for different reasons you know the fashion but she was there for the racing and, and for the horses and and I think that every racing fan loved that about her that it was she wasn't there, like you say, it wasn't like a sort of state um, event. It was because she wanted to go. And the tradition and the pomp and ceremony of watching the carriages come up the race course with the beautiful horses obviously pulling the carriages, etc. It was always just, you know, a wonderful part of, of, the, of the meeting itself. And I know, obviously, towards the end of her life, you know, she couldn't turn up in 2020 But I remember being there when crowds came back in 2021 and it felt strange. She wasn't there for the first four days, but she turned up and it lifted and elevated the place. The excitement amongst the few thousand people who were allowed to be there, the fact that it'd gone round the race course that the Queen was going to be there, it just reflected the significance of the part she played in that and every detail of what would happen would be discussed um, with her so she'd have to approve everything. Her presence will be hugely missed. Yes, there are members of the royal family who love their racing, but no one is going to match her total 100% commitment to Royal Ascot like her, and Ascot has been lucky 
to have her for as long as they did. She is a great supporter of horse racing, great breeder herself, and she is a person who loves this week to come to Royal Ascot. Forget about all the people who dress up in all their finery and the hats and everything else. She's purely there for the horses. She's just there for the enjoyment. She must be glad to be back. No, she loves her racing and to not be able to come to Royal Ascot, I think she would have been missing it, definitely. The meeting without the Queen did feel hollow. When she did arrive, there was a real sense of delight. She loves her racing and she loves especially coming to Ascot. She actually has got a little piece in the programme today. She would like to thank you for the welcome my family and I have always received at Royal Ascot and to wish you all the most an enjoyable day. That's from Her Majesty. Still to come, we'll discuss the Queen's global reach and how her passion for her horses was passed down through the generations. This is All the Queen's Horses on TalkSport with me, Rupert Bell, reflecting on the Queen's love of horses. All the Queen's Horses on TalkSport. Welcome back to All the Queen's Horses here on TalkSport. A celebration of Her Majesty the Queen's love of horses and racing with some of those in the industry who knew her best. I'm TalkSport's racing correspondent, Rupert Bell. We know of the Queen's love of breeding horses, but this isn't just in the racing world, as she also had a passion for showing. As Managing Director of the Royal Windsor Horse Show, Simon Brooks Ward explained to me. I think the Queen is well known for racing and uh, her love of thoroughbreds, not only just now in flat, but also in jump as well. Um, but I don't think people really understand the breadth of interest in horses and ponies. And Windsor kind of reflects that. You know, we, we run over four days and you will see the Queen by show ring watching her ponies and horses competing in one of the showing classes. And I think the Queen loves seeing all such an eclectic mix of, of horse breeds. And it's a genuine um, feeling of how wonderful to have one of your horses or ponies win anything. In, in, uh, and as I keep saying, it's, it's the same for the Queen as it is for me or you. You know, we just, um, it, it gives us that certain sense of thrill. And the Queen had huge success, obviously, at Ascot over the years, but also at Royal Windsor Horse Show. And I have to say, I do laugh, actually, because... At Royal, Royal Ascot, the Royal Meeting, you, you get hundreds and thousands of pounds. With us, I'm afraid you just get a rosette and maybe a £50 Tesco voucher. <laughs> I can promise you it has the same effect. I present to the Royal Box Sweepstakes. Uh, many congratulations. Uh, kind of. Thank you very much. What do I get? Well, <laughs> you get £16. £16? £16. £16. Winning. And joining me for further reflections on the Queen's life, and particularly her life outside racing, I'm joined by former jockey Lizzie Kelly. What we're hearing there at Royal Windsor Horse Show and about her love for that event, yes, she could win a race like the Gold Cup or she could win a British Classic, but she would be just as happy seeing one of her showing horses winning a class for a £20 supermarket voucher. I think that that was one of the most amazing things about her, really, was that she wanted to excel in all disciplines. And I specifically remember her 
being really interested in the native breeds of horses in our country, which, given that she was the monarch of it, you know, was a really lovely fit and that she really championed um, those sorts of, of breeds of horses and ponies. And, you know, it's a fantastic... She's, I think she's left a fantastic legacy in the equestrian world. And, you know, her touch has been sort of, you know, everywhere, really. And people wouldn't necessarily realise that because, yes, they'd have seen her on the race course and that was the high-profile area, yet she would be just as happy going into a field to watch a three-day event if one of her children was competing or one of her horses was competing or going into just any county show perhaps to see one of her horses competing, maybe near the Sandringham Estate. She cared and it was, as I say, all horses made her feel good. Some of the events that obviously she was going to were some of the biggest in, in their discipline, whether that's showing or eventing or indeed racing. But she was certainly someone who was really supporting equestrian sport from the grassroots, you know, even breeding horses herself that were starting from the very bottom, you know, and she was seeing those horses progress throughout their careers. And that would have given her a huge amount of satisfaction. And Royal Ascot, obviously the high profile, she also brought a huge global impact for the British racing, perhaps reflecting the tradition of Britain being the sort of home of horse racing and all that that entails, she brought it to a global stage. I think that a lot of other leaders in in the world were also enticed into horse racing because of the link between royalty and horse racing. And so that has obviously bolstered the support for the industry um, from a financial point of perspective. And yeah, you know, her impact on the sport has been massive because I think that people have more of an interest in Royal Ascot because of her association with it than you know, any other meeting throughout the year. That global appeal was no more than reflected maybe over the last few years of her life at the Royal Meeting because that global appeal meant horses were coming from all over the world. And one trainer very much at the forefront of that was Wes Ward because he became the first US-based trainer to ship a horse to England and win a stakes race at the Royal Ascot Meeting. That horse was 33-1 to 1 Strike the Tiger, who won the Windsor Castle, and in the same week, Jealous again took the Queen Mary Stakes. His best-known Royal Ascot winners included two-time winner Lady Aurelia and 2021 winner Campanelle. No Nay never won the Norfolk Stakes in 2013, the same year the Queen won the Gold Cup with Estimate. He's had 12 Royal Ascot winners in all, and Wes Ward joins us now. I've actually been lucky enough to win a race and have her present one of the trophies that she puts out from her with undrafted. My children are there. From the time that I talked to her, she invited me up to her box and we had about 30 minutes. You know, you're really nervous going into the meeting and then she's so welcoming when you sit down and she's asking you all the questions because she's so into horse racing and wanting to know how it all goes and how I came about to come over there. And pretty soon you just sit like you're, you're talking to just a, you know, a normal racing fan and then pretty soon you have to kind of sneak back and say she's sitting here next to the queen of england she's asking me these questions and this is the thing and everybody says her, her knowledge of racing is extraordinary and okay you're coming over here as a you know your job is to win but to actually have that feeling that the person who's sort of the main person there really cares that sort of helps you feel like you want to keep on coming back because it means so much to her and now that you've met her 
for sure. And I've had conversations with her over the years that I'll never forget, you know, as well as uh, the jockeys that I've had. I've had Victor Espinosa when he won the Kentucky Derbies, and he can recite word for word his conversations that he's had with her down when she met him in the parade ring. She is the centerpiece, and that is what really ultimately makes everyone want to go to race it from America. I can certainly tell you that. We talk extensively about the Queen's love for her horses, and this has also been passed down to other members of the royal family, nurturing her own lifelong love affair with horses along with Prince Philip, who excelled at polo and carriage driving. It came as no surprise then that the next generations inherited the same passion, as royal correspondent Charles Ray explains. You've got Anne and Charles both rode. Uh, the Princess Royal, as we know, became an equestrian, an Olympian equestrian, and she's passed on that love you know, to her own daughter, Zara Tyndall. Um, so this is going to continue all the way through, and I expect Zara's uh, girls and son will eventually take up uh, riding horses if they haven't already done so. Uh, so it's something that runs in the family. Uh, horses are a big part of their private and social life, as well as their working lives. I suspect that uh, the three Cambridge children, uh, George, uh, Charlotte and Louis, will uh, have already started, you know, riding horses. I think we've actually seen pictures of George on, on, a, on a little pony. Um, so, yes, I think all the royal children would be encouraged to ride uh, ponies and horses, and it would be up to them uh, that, uh, you know, if they continued with it. Princess Anne owns horses and famously enjoyed an illustrious career in eventing. Daughter Zara Phillips followed in her footsteps as a successful equestrian and Olympian. Here's TalkSport's Olympic correspondent, Michael Waydock. When it comes to the Olympic Games, there has always been a lot of royal involvement, not just with British members of the royal family, but in Monaco, for example, Prince Albert of Monaco made five appearances in bobsleigh uh, between 1988 and 2002. His wife was a swimmer for South Africa. Uh, back in 2000, we've seen Spanish members of the royal family competing at the Olympic Games. So there has been this enduring love affair. Princess Anne, I think, obviously, we know that she had her, her breakthrough year, if you like, in 1971 that was actually five years before she competed at the Olympic Games. She went in 1976 to Montreal. It was a Games where her mother opened them, the first royal to be selected. You know, I think that was then passed on to Zara and it was a, it was a neat rounding of the circle, if you like, with Zara going to the Olympic Games. The royal family's long-standing passion for polo extended also to Prince William and Harry from a young age, with the sport being a big part of their lives. And Lizzie Kelly, it is a huge responsibility now for the royal family and I suppose most notably the sport of racing. Yes, there are racing enthusiasts, but she has left an enormous legacy. And I think that it's lovely that we're seeing other members of the royal family who are interested in, in the sport and other equestrian sports slightly trying to get more involved. But she's going to leave a huge hole in the sport that will really struggle to fill. Well, it's going to be, as you say, a huge responsibility. The Duchess of Cornwall, I do know, loves her racing. But the royal meeting, Lizzie, will inevitably feel different without her wonderful presence around the place. I completely agree with that. I think that it will be a real sort of, I suppose, difficult part of the day watching the carriages come up the race course and knowing that she's not there. And it will be very, very strange and very sad for a lot of people who actually 
use those sorts of opportunities to see the Queen like I did. I never met her and and so going to Royal Ascot every year was actually the only time that I saw her not on a screen. The Queen's love of horses began as a child and remained strong throughout her long reign. It was a hugely important part of royal life that has inspired the next generation and will continue to do so in the future. But senior writer of the Racing Post, Lee Mottishead, suggests that it's unlikely we'll see another monarch have as much of an impact as Her Majesty had. The thing about the Queen with horse racing is it has been entirely coming from the heart. There's nothing forced about it whatsoever. Her, her involvement in horse racing has been because she adores horse racing. And there are other members of her family who also love horse racing, the Princess Royal being the noticeable example. And we've seen subsequently Camilla has been a big supporter of horse racing and, and enjoys horse racing. And there will always, I am sure, be significant royal involvement in horse racing and the sport will be better for that. But the reality is there is only ever one head of state and there has only ever been one monarch like our current monarch who has been there for so long, who is revered around the world. And you're never going to be able to match what you get as a sport from that. Just as there have been great steeplechasers since Arkell, but every steeplechaser is always measured against Arkell in the knowledge that there will never be another Arkell. There will never be another lady who will give the benefit to horse racing that the Queen has got. So I think we have to be grateful for all that she has done, that what she has done will leave a legacy as well even after she has gone, but she can't be replaced. As we come to the end of this reflection on the Queen's life with horses, what stands out to me was just something that she just enjoyed so much and it inspired her, it kept her young, it kept her enthusiastic, it kept her just engaged with a section of the community that she loved being around. Horses were once an integral part of the engine room of this country and while she reigned, they were very much part of her engine room. It kept her going. And that's why racing and the whole equestrian world should be eternally grateful to the commitment that she showed to the horse world throughout her long and distinguished life. Everybody on a race course is there for the same reason. You know, we all enjoy the horses and I suppose that makes her part of our little clan, I suppose. And it will be a real sort of, I suppose, difficult part of the day watching the carriages come up the race course and knowing that she's not there. The Queen's involvement in racing, British racing, is so enormous and it's wonderful for the sport of racing that the Queen takes so much interest and tremendous pleasure she derives that she has done. Coming on the outer and celebrates as if he's won the derby. The judge may be needed. Hornoir and Treasure Beach from Carlton House. Queen's horses were a bit like a football team. You follow them. I knew all the Queen's horses. Oh, the party, catching Oriole. That's 50 yards to go. Oh, all the cat Oriole hang on. And that's the first Oriole win. I don't think people really understand the breadth of interest that the Queen has in horses and ponies. She cared for all sorts of breeds. It meant so much to her. It was her pride, it was her joy, it was her hobby, but it was more than that, it was her passion. On the near side, Willie Carson, Dunfermline, and it's going to be a royal victory, I think, on the near side, Dunfermline, and Dunfermline now going into the lead, and Dunfermline wins the When I put those colours, I felt six foot tall. 
you know, you just felt more important. It's a thing that just, you, you blossom when you put those colours on. Her Majesty the Queen and John Warren going berserk, and look at the delight there, the sheer joy. There will never be another lady in horse racing, or individual in horse racing, of the significance of the Queen, nor anyone who will give the benefit to horse racing that the Queen has got. So I think we have to be grateful for all that she has done, that what she has done will leave a legacy, but she can't be replaced. Thank you, Your Majesty, for your love of horse racing and everything you put into this great sport that I love. Thank you for your passion and commitment. And thank you for the joy that you showed when my brother won the Ascot Girl Cup with Big Orange. You felt part of our family's celebration. Thank you, Mum. And thank you for joining us on All the Queen's Horses on TalkSport. All the Queen's Horses on TalkSport. The TalkSport Daily Podcast is proud to be in partnership with Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Whatever your mission, home or away, don't delay. Enterprise has the vehicle for the job. Rent from the best lineup in the UK. With over 450 branches, Enterprise has what your business needs. From compact three-door cars to spacious SUVs and people carriers to vans, they offer a large range of reliable vehicles perfect for the job. To find out more and book, visit enterprise.co.uk. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.